right, here we go. Welcome to today's episode of Plain Sight Podcast. I'm your host, Jacob, and today we're going to be getting into some kind of weird things, ancient aliens, um, you know, like History Channel. I mean, I think we've all seen ancient aliens, that show. So we're going to be getting into the origins of this conspiracy theory and where these ideas kind of come from. We're going to talk a little bit about the Anunnaki, uh, the ancient Sumerians and uh, ancient Mesopotamia. We're going to get into NASA and their occult roots. And then to top it off, we're going to talk a little bit about Scientology and their roots to the occult. So believe it or not, we're going to hit all these topics and probably more. Um, this will probably end up branching off into a couple more episodes because, you know, once you go down one rabbit hole, you end up stumbling upon several other, and then that's interesting too. So um, the next one will probably be like Scientology, I'm thinking, because this actually ties into the occult a lot more than people realize what... That's later on down the road. Um, let's just uh, jump into what we're going to talk about. So, Ancient Aliens. So, we've all seen the show on History Channel, right? Ancient Aliens, which, um, interestingly enough, is produced by Prometheus Entertainment. And that will become a little more relevant here in just a bit bit but I just wanted to mention that 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 show is produced by them now this theory I mean looking into the origins of this theory I I didn't go any further back than 1968 or um, I mean I have some stuff here from Carl Sagan I think from um, might have been in the 50s no, it was in the 60s. It was 66. So I don't have anything earlier than 66, okay, these ideas. I'm sure they've been around longer than this, but this is just how they've kind of popularized and materialized in our culture. So uh, we'll start with this guy named Eric Von Daniken. I guess that's how you pronounce his last name, but he was a Swiss author. He was a writer, and he published a book in 1968 that was titled Chariots of the Gods. And I've actually, I worked in a bookstore probably like a year or two ago, and we they still have this book in bookstores. I mean, you could probably go to a Barnes & Noble and find it. But um, basically the book just goes into and details his beliefs that extraterrestrials... Um, Basically had a hand, visited the planet, you know, millions of years ago, I don't know, thousands of years ago, something like that, a long time ago, and they had a hand in creating or moving or touching these mysterious structures like uh, the Great Pyramids of Egypt and the blocks of Stonehenge and the Moai of Easter Island, you know, the big heads. Um, he also talks about the Nazca Lines, which I'll give him that one. The Nazca Lines are pretty weird, um, considering that I, I don't know what their use would be other than to, like, you know, 
show some signal to some something flying in the air. I don't know. And if you don't know anything about the Nazca lines, they are these set of, um, I don't know, they're like drawings in the ground, but they're massive and they're ancient. And the only way you can really see them and tell what they are is from up in the air. You have to be up in the air to see these massive, massive um lines and glyphs that are clearly man-made for something um some people have thrown around the idea that you know those lines are like uh what's it called like a landing strip type of thing for ships i don't know it's pretty far out there but prometheus like i just said the show ancient aliens is produced by prometheus entertainment now prometheus First of all, Prometheus in Greek comes from Greek. So let me pull up some information for you here. Now, Prometheus. Fun fact for you, the statue at Rockefeller Square, um, the ice skating rink, there's like a big golden statue in there, and it's actually Prometheus. So... Now, Prometheus is best known... I'm going to read this from Wikipedia. Prometheus is best known for defying the gods by stealing fire from them and giving it to humanity in the form of technology, knowledge, and more generally, civilization. In some versions of the myth, he is also credited with the creation of humanity from clay. So, Prometheus in Greek culture is this almost fallen angel type character who steals fire from the gods the fire being how i see it the the light the enlightenment the the spark inside of all of us right that and i'll i'll talk more about these concepts as the show goes on as the podcast continues to grow and um, we get get more into these concepts, but um, Prometheus came from the sky because he stole the god's fire, basically. Um, now, there was a film in 2012 directed by Ridley Scott. Ridley Scott directed Alien back in... I th- it was the 70s. It was the late 70s, I think. But it serves as a prequel to Alien, and it deals with just this. I mean, the two main characters um, believe that ancient astronauts or aliens had played a part in creating humanity, and they basically travel across the galaxy to meet said creators, and said creators, spoiler alert, end up basically killing everybody and they you know it's like you don't don't meet your makers right like don't meet your heroes or whatever so it's a very interesting film and the fact that these ideas are kind of integrated into prometheus um the god the word you know the History Channel, Ancient Aliens, and all their shows. They have a lot of shows. They're doing um, the Skinwalker show that's on the History Channel right now. If you've heard anything about Skinwalker Ranch, 
that fucking Robert Bigelow owned and the government messed around with for many years and apparently they didn't find anything, which I'm not sure if I believe that, but um, anyways, where were we? Yes, Von Daniken. Von Daniken. This is where these ideas kind of originated from as far as how they go today. Uh, Ridley Scott even said that some of Daniken's ideas influenced him in the making of the movie. So now a little note about Von Daniken. Okay, this is the guy that's putting this theory out there at that time, but in November of 1968, he was actually arrested for fraud after falsifying hotel records, credit references, in order to take out loans for $130,000 over a period of 12 years, and then two years later was convicted for repeated and sustained embezzlement, fraud, and forgery, with the court ruling that the writer had been living a, quote, playboy lifestyle. So, not a good look for Mr. Daniken, but... Despite this, Chariots of the Gods has gone on to sell over 70 million copies. So, it's a very popular book, right? Now, in 1966, a few years before Daniken published his book, um, famous astrophysicist Carl Sagan devoted a chapter in his book titled Intelligent Life in the Universe. Um, And he stated in that book that scientists and historians should consider the possibility that extraterrestrial contact occurred during recorded history. So that's Carl Sagan saying that. And Carl Sagan is pretty much as mainstream as mainstream gets. I mean, he was kind of the OG original... I don't know. I mean, I hate to compare him to Neil deGrasse Tyson because I think Carl Sagan is a much more... um, I mean, I'd much rather listen to Carl Sagan than I would Neil deGrasse Tyson, you know. But he was kind of the original scientist, astrophysicist guy talking about, you know, space and the cosmos. And, you know, there's tons of information out there on him. Um, But, however, even though he said that we should consider the possibility, he was, you know, he was adamant in making sure that these ideas, stressing that these ideas were speculative and unproven at that point in time. It's still pretty much unproven as far as I'm concerned. So um, I like, though, that he kind of threw that out there, that idea out there, that this is something we should at the very least think about or wonder about. I mean, could aliens have visited a long time ago? Could they have been here? Are they still here? I mean, I don't know. Sometimes I wonder. I wonder, man. (laughs) I wonder. I don't know, but I do wonder. Now, I am also... I'm going to read this from Wikipedia also. Now, it says, Scholars have responded that gaps in contemporary knowledge are not evidence of the existence of ancient astronauts and that advocates have not provided any convincing documentary or physical evidence of an artifact that might conceivably be the product of ETI contact. According to astrophysicist Carl Sagan, quote, in the long litany of ancient astronaut pop archaeology, the cases of apparent interest have perfectly reasonable alternative explanations or have been misreported or simple prevarications, hoaxes, and distortions. So there you go. There's a little bringing us back to reality, right? 
It's no fun. I mean, it's way more fun to think that, you know, this shit did go down and, you know, we've got a bunch of fucking ancient aliens running the shit. But Zachariah Stitchin is also a big name that comes up when you're talking about this sort of thing. Um, He attributed the ancient Sumerian culture with this group called the Anunnaki, which is what we're going to get into now, the Anunnaki. And he believed that these were a race of extraterrestrials from Nibiru, or Planet X. And if you don't know about Planet X, it's basically this hypostulated planet. that there, There's another planet out there outside of our orbit. We can't see it. It's like planets beyond Neptune. Um, and this whole idea has been around for a long time. And, you know, there's... The Nibiru Cataclysm, um, saying that, you know, this planet, if it's not outside of our body to where we can't see it, then maybe it got destroyed, right? And some people say that's what the asteroid belt is. Um, I've heard that. Um, and Zacharias Stitchin, he basically says that the Anunnaki came from Nibiru or Planet X because their planet was destroyed or made inhabitable so let's get into this a little more here my notes are they're a little all over the place all right so a little information about the ancient sumerians now the ancient sumerians are they are significant and in terms of talking about the anunnaki I don't know. Some weird things here. So, the ancient Sumerians are responsible for giving us the first form of a lot of things. They gave us the first form of writing. They gave us the first form of mathematics. Just simple mathematics being used as a system to kind of... um, I don't know if what they were counting, but they <laughs> they had devised some simple mathematics. They created the plow. They created the wheel. They created. Brady's rivers in what is today southern Iraq, and the Greeks came to call this Mesopotamia, which. I also find interesting because that's the same place. I mean, that's kind of like the cradle of civilization over there in the Middle East. I mean, that's where that's where humanity kind of started, right? So, kind of interesting. Now, the word Anunnaki, I've read a couple different um, interpretations. I'm just going to go with this one. Those who Anu sent from heaven to earth. Now, Anu was their pagan god over there, I guess. One of their pagan gods, he was like the god of the sky or whatever. So, saying that those sent from heaven to earth, people read into that and they say, oh, well, that's aliens. I mean, maybe. I don't know. Um, Now... In the Bible, they mention the Nephilim, right? I don't know. I mean, probably not everyone here is familiar with this, but 
in the Bible, there's these things called the Nephilim, and I'm pretty sure they're in Genesis, but they talk about how they basically bred with humans, and they talk about this in the book of Enoch too, which is probably, I mean, I'll probably have to do that one. See, there's there's so much to talk about, but it gets into this sort of thing too, the, the Nephilim and this idea that there was a race of, of almost giants. I mean, you, you read the descriptions of them and they're described as giants. And um, there could be something to it. Could be something to it. Now, this is interesting. This is interesting. Discovered the ruins of an ancient Assyrian library, and it was called the Ashurbanipal. 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 I don't know. But one of the most important discoveries that he made during this ex- excavation were these series of cuneiform tablets called the Enuma Elis, or better known as the Seven Tablets of Creation. And the Seven Tablets of Creation. These tablets tell a story about a group of gods called the Anunnaki who came from heaven to basically teach the humans, teach them how to do the things that they did. They they credit the Anunnaki for all of their accomplishments and knowing how to do the things that they did. And again, advances in writing, agriculture, science, mathematics, Medicine, astronomy, transportation, building, military, schools, city, planning, all of that originated in Sumer, ancient Mesopotamia, which is, I mean, this is true. You can look this up. Um, They also came up with a method of keeping time, which is pretty mind-blowing to think all, I mean, this was... A, this was a long time ago, okay, and and they came up with, you know, a way to tell time, and we still use this today. So, in their telling, the Anunnaki descended from On, like I mentioned earlier. On is like basically he's the supreme deity who controls the fate of humans, uh, human kings, and his fellow gods, basically. Now. I'm going to read this from lookforward.com. This is just getting into his beliefs a little more. I thought just thought it was interesting. I'll read it for you. According to Zachariah Stitchin, the Anunnaki came from the distant planet Nibiru 450,000 years ago, searching for valuable mineral deposits on Earth. He claims these gods of the Anunnaki were the rank-and-file workers of the colonial expedition to Earth. They genetically engineered Homo sapiens being crossed with extraterrestrial genes. Wait, what? They genetically engineered Homo sapiens. Okay, I typed this out wrong, so I don't know. Just ignore that. Researchers also affirm that the tablets refer to Anunnaki history on Mars. The modern-day translation of the Sumerian and Babylonian origin myths, a cataclysmic event did take place on The 
don't know what it is. It almost looks like a lightning bolt hit it or something, but this big kind of Ever. Now, this leads me into NASA, and what does NASA have to do with any of this? I mean, honestly, not a lot. Um, and more specifically, the Thelemic religion and Aleister Crowley that we talked about on the last podcast. So I'm going to, this is also some housekeeping kind of from the last show, some things that I miss, but this is important. And I only mention it here because we're talking about ancient alien concepts and how does all this tie into the occult? How does NASA even tie into the occult? You know, so tying tying this together. And I also said that I wanted to watch The Eternals and do a review on that, which I will do at some point. I just have not been able to drag myself out to go see it. Um, I've read some reviews and I, I heard it wasn't great, so... I'll probably just end up waiting for it to come out on Disney Plus, but that's one that I really want to talk about. And this kind of serves as a prequel to that a little bit, also, if you're into this sort of thing. So be on the lookout for that at some point. I will be doing an Eternals analysis review, and it will be a lot of these things that I'm talking about right here. So, or it'll have to do with those. Now, NASA, there's one real significant person to talk about when talking about the occult and NASA, and that is Mr. Jack Parsons. There's lots of different information out there about this guy, but basically what you need to know is that he was this super smart, super talented rocket engineer and chemist who, in 1933, had constructed his first solid-fuel rocket engine at the age of 29, which is, I mean, 29, I turned 29 in like, you know, three or four years, I can't fuck, I mean, I couldn't build a fucking rocket, okay, I I know that, okay, a f solid fuel rocket engine, so the following year, in 1934, Parsons and a couple of other engineers, they were allowed access to Caltech, um, to Caltech's laboratories. So that's the California Institute of Technology, if you don't know. And there they created the Galcit, G-A-L-C-I-T, Rocket Research Group, 
which is basically how NASA's Jet Propulsion Lab was born. It came from the Gausset Rocket Research Group. Now, at the time of their research, and this is kind of a fun little fact. I didn't even know this, but um, their experiments were very notoriously dangerous and they were you know i mean rocket science right i mean it's like when people say oh it's not rocket science well people say that because rocket science is fucking hard and if you mess it up you're gonna blow something up you're gonna kill yourself or something which is actually what happened to jack parsons he ended up killing himself accidentally in a experiment gone wrong but um there his little group there they earned the nickname the Suicide Squad. So if you've ever wondered about DC Comics, where they got that name, the Suicide Squad, well, there you go. Mr. Jack Parsons, occultist. Uh, and we're going to get into his occult connections here in just a second. I just wanted to kind of give you his connections to Caltech, NASA, um, JPL. Um, so in 1939... the Jet Assisted Takeoff project for the U.S. military. It was called JATO <laughs> instead of NATO, JATO, I guess. Um, their rocket experiments were on the cover story of the August 1940 edition of Popular Mechanics, which Popular Mechanics is such a fucking shill machine, dude. That, that thing is designed to brainwash people, dude. Like, that m magazine is marketed to boomers and it's always been marketed to boomers and you know you can type in any conspiracy theory on there and they'll have a debunking for it but i i'm not a fan of popular mechanics but um it was there that they discussed the prospect of being able to ascend above earth's atmosphere and one day even reach the moon imagine that that was in the 40s then in 1942, during World War II, they founded Aerojet to develop and sell the technology. So they kind of, the Suicide Squad ended up becoming JPL in 1943. Um, and it was actually during this time that Jack Parsons became fascinated and enamored with the teachings of Mr. Aleister Crowley and his Church of Thelema, and sex magic, and all sorts of mystical occult practices. So he went to a church service of Aleister Crowley, and he was just blown away. He wanted to know more. And he himself ended up joining the California branch of the Ordo Templi Orientis, the OTO, which again referred to my last episode about Helena Blavatsky and Aleister Crowley. I get into these organizations a little more, but um, Jack Parsons, he became uh, a branch. He became the lodge leader in California at the request of Aleister Crowley. Um, now, Jack Parsons believed that thelemic magic could actually be explained through quantum physics, which... He may not have been wrong. I, I mean, I don't know everything about the rituals or sex magic. or, But I understand these ideas of the occult. This idea of manifesting your reality 
through your actions and your thoughts and basically creating a life for yourself, manifesting a life for yourself and manifesting things into your life through these practices. I, I kind of understand that. Now, <laughs> Jack Parsons, he engaged in many sexual liaisons, 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 I don't know how you say it, (laughs) and um, he had taken up cocaine, methamphetamine, opiates, um, and he was making a lot of kind of questionable decisions, especially, you know, for someone who's pursuing something where there's real lives on the line and real stakes, you know, over at JPL and NASA, and he's fucking shooting up with meth and snorting coke and doing sex magic with Aleister Crowley, and they weren't having it. They weren't having it, and they booted Jack Parsons in 1944 from the JPL, and they persuaded him to sell his stock in the company, because of his involvement with the Salemic Church, they didn't like it, so they banned him. And he left Rocket Engineering, right? But he ended up renting a room in his mansion to a guy named L. Ron Hubbard, who was a U.S. Naval officer and science fiction writer who later went on to create Scientology, which brings us to Scientology. Now, in a letter Jack Parsons wrote to Aleister Crowley, he said that L. Ron Hubbard has an extraordinary amount of experience and understanding in magic. From some of his experiences, I deduce he is in direct touch with some higher intelligence, possibly his guardian angel. He is the most thelemic person I have ever met and is in complete accord with our own principles. Now, Parsons and Hubbard, they got into this stuff together. And L. Ron Hubbard ended up becoming a fervent thelemic Aleister Crowley follower. He, he was, undoubtedly. I mean, you can look into this. He was a big believer in this stuff. And... In the next episode, I'm really going to deep dive into it because this was, and you can see how this started. You know, it started as me, you know, talking about ancient aliens and ancient astronauts. And then, you know, I fall down into NASA and then I get sidetracked onto Scientology. And I think that all these things are important to talk about. So um, we'll talk more on about Scientology on the next one. But um, I, I just wanted to mention this and throw that out there. Parsons asked Hubbard to help him accomplish a series of rituals based on the Enochian system of magic in an effort to summon an elemental spirit of Babylon, also known as the Scarlet Woman. Now, he called this ritual the Babylon Working. And part of the Thelemic belief system involves goddess worship and there was this one goddess in particular named Babylon who was also known as the Scarlet Woman and Crowley and Parsons believed that it was actually possible to summon the elemental spirit of Babylon into a human form with the use of sex magic and it sounds fucking nuts I know it sounds crazy but uh, and he referred to this elemental 
offspring as a moon child. And he expected that the appearance of this spirit would help him in his magical activities. And lo and behold, three months later, he encountered a scarlet, red-headed woman by the name of Marjorie Cameron. And she ended up becoming his right-hand man in a lot of ways. Okay. How long has this been going on? 30 minutes. You know, I think I'm going to leave it there. I'm going to leave it there, and on the next one, I'm going to get deeper into the Scientology um, because I just looked into it a little bit. didn't look into it as much as I should, so... I'm going to do that, and then I'll be back on the next one to continue this conversation. All right? So, thanks for listening. Check me out on Plainsight Podcast on Instagram, and I'll catch you on the next one.